read the talk, uh, the passage first. I will make some reference to it as we go, uh, but it won't be like a normal teaching sort of expositional style. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect scattered, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Bible has always had its detractors and in 2019 Sydney that is no difference. Uh, The group Theorists, Freedom in Religion in Schools, uh, their aim is to see scripture removed as an option in public education. Uh, We live in a really conflicted situation today where awareness uh, from our social history means general acknowledgement that the Bible has massively influenced and shaped nearly everything in our country, from our turns of phrase in language, our values, even our politics and laws. But at the same time, uh, there is, I guess, widespread ignorance of the Bible's contents and a growing suspicion of its kind of status, its kind of place in society. You know, you lay your hand on the Bible when you swear an oath in court, for example. Uh, Proclaiming various parts of the Bible can leave you open to the charge of hate speech. Imagine seeing a poster at uni with this standard Bible verse around campus. What would the reaction be? There'd be a range of reactions, wouldn't there? There'd be people just bypass, oh, whatever, silly Christians. But there'd be there'd be there'd be anger as well, wouldn't there? Maybe even rage. So there is confliction in our social world. It's kind of profound tension. 
we, we kind of respect the Bible, but we also don't know what to do with it. People try to ignore it, but then you know, parts of it, like Acts 4.12, are just so confronting. I mean, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Uh, the name, in context, of course, is Jesus. Perhaps this uh, tension, this kind of conflict, these kind of two different attitudes towards the Bible is seen crystal clear in no one other than Richard Dawkins. He's a classic example. Why is that not going? He's a classic example of um, seeing this confliction. Very famous public figure. He strongly opposes the type of uh, action of theorists. He clearly advocates that the Bible should be in Western public school curriculums. He's adamant about that. At the same time, he keeps talking about how dangerous the Bible is, or at least parts of it. So he tries to balance this tension in quotes like this one. The Bible should be taught, but emphatically not as reality. It's fiction, myth, poetry, anything but reality. As such, it not just should, but needs to be taught because it underlies so much of our literature and culture. In other words, our society will just collapse if people don't know the Bible. So it must be taught, it should be taught, and yet emphatically not as reality. Blah or Beautiful, our plus series over the next four weeks, is all about exploring this kind of confliction about the Bible in our society, uh, which we therefore feel because all of us live in this society. Whether you're a Christian or not, you probably feel this tension. And there are so many angles that we could take, uh, and we've only got four weeks. You know, we could talk about whether the Bible is history or legend. Uh, has it been transmitted and preserved over time, or has it been changed in copying and publishing? Which books got put in there, and how? What criteria was used? Who, who, who decided? So many good questions. Uh, next week, Justin Moffat is going to explore the kind of social implications of the Bible. Is, is, is reading the Bible like drinking poison accidentally? Or is it actually much more like putting on glasses to see the world afresh? Uh, the week after, I'm coming back to address the question, does the, where does, does the Bible come from God? Or, or is it humans, or, or what? And these kind of questions kind of swirl around in our heads, whether you call yourself a Christian, perhaps those questions kind of undermine some confidence. But even if you're just aware of Christianity, or perhaps interested in Christianity, they're kind of issues that you perhaps want to settle. And uh, PLUS is an awesome community for us to explore these matters, to open them up together, because you and the friends that you invite along will, will, will have something definite, something concrete to interact with. Uh, what I mean is that the Credo Constitution, as a society, is set up so that the speakers like me teaching the Bible and the senior leaders are meant to have settled some of these questions in their minds. They're meant to have landed in a definite place. From our constitution, Credo affirms and upholds the fundamental truths of Christianity as contained in the Bible, including point one, the divine inspiration and infallibility of Holy Scripture as originally given 
and its supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. It doesn't mean that you need to believe that. It doesn't mean that um, I'm going to rouse on you if you don't, because this, this is why we're set up. This is like we have arrived at a place where the Bible is like putting on glasses. It's good. It's good for the university. And so what this means is that you can push, you can test, you can, you can grapple with these kind of questions um, and, and, and find, uh, hopefully, good answers. So that's why we're doing this series, Blah or Beautiful. I'm hoping that we'll be humble enough to enter into the questions with you and feel the weight of any issues that your friends that you bring along might have. So, for today, my ambition is, is lower. <laughs> just to start the semester with. Uh, I'm not going to answer one of those big academic questions. I just want to enter into the issue a little bit more kind of existentially with you. Hopefully I've already started to kind of help you feel the weight of this question and, and make you wet with appetite for more. So to start with, I, I perhaps want to surprise you and just to say personally, <coughs> that I find the Bible to be a bit of both, actually. <laughs> it is blah and it is beautiful. Uh, but that that kind of paradox actually helps me to rely on it. It, it kind of keeps driving me back to it, to, to kind of trust it again or to, to re-ground myself in it. To kind of, you know, when it's, when it's grown dusty and forgotten, to kind of dust it off. Uh, so I have three parts. Uh, the paradoxal, uh, paradox is seen in the Bible is a big book. And that is an easy book. And then thirdly, to end, hopefully, I'll give you a reason to why this paradox helps me believe. So firstly, the Bible is a big book. I'm actually going to do this together. And uh, we don't have heaps of time. So just on your tables... How is the Bible a big book? What I mean by big is not necessarily just volume. Of course, it's, 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 it's like a phone book, isn't it? It's, it's, it's chunky. But how is it big in, in kind of expanding your horizons or, or larger than your expectations or kind of surprisingly, you know, more than meets the eye? Okay, so discuss in your tables just a couple of minutes. How is the Bible a big book in your experience? I'm going to get you to yell some out.
All right. Uh, let's just so, just say one thing. What? In which way is the Bible a big book over here? Uh, it's possible to just keep learning lots from it. No okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of content. Yeah, lots of different styles, isn't there? Many styles, different genres. Um, one Peter is a letter. It's written from someone to a group of people. Uh, but, you know, Mark is very different. Um, that's very different than Revelation, which is different than Leviticus. And it's just, it's hard to know what to do with all that variety. Over here? Yeah. Books and genres all fit into the same story. Like yeah. So there's massive historical and cultural gaps, isn't it? It spans a lot of time, different cultures. It's like, and you saw that in here too, didn't you? Like, even just these names: Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Kind of like you go, hang on, are these close together, or are these far apart, or are they, are they people, are they cities, are they regions, are they just what are they? And you, just, okay, so big, yep. Yeah, so big influence, big influence, big implications, big, yeah, it's impacted a lot of places and sometimes you kind of go, well, it's, it seems to have had a good influence and then other times you kind of go, yeah, have they really understood the implications well and is it having a good influence or not? And yep, okay, anything else? Uh, <laughs> oh, we can have like a big impact that has had on like society over the years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, People get very confronted by the Bible. It's, it's big, like it's, it's big claims. It's, it's, it's not a surface, it's, it's, it's not just big in volume, but it's, 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 um, it deals with real big things. And you can see that even here in 1 Peter, can't you? Like it, it raises the whole idea of, of hope and suffering and it just, you know, really substantial things. Okay, so it's not. Thin. It's not like you know. It's the same volume as a, a phone book, as I said. But a phone book is thin, isn't it? It's just the content is just just a tiny bits of information which don't really mean much. But the Bible just has so many layers, dealing with so many different topics and and so on. Okay. Great. So there are many many layers and textures. It's just a big book. Um, all right, so uh, let me just share one experience, given that this is more an existential story uh, today. Um, I, for a long time, hated the Psalms. I just, like, you know, I failed at this English. I, I got 11, 11%. I was only 11, 20%. Um, so just, like, reading the Psalms, it's, it's, it's poetry, right? And it's just, I studied computer science, I just, like, computer science just doesn't work like poetry. <laughs> it's, um, so, so for most of the years, I just avoided the Psalms. I was just like, I just, it's too big for me. It's, <sighs> but, you know, as I've, I've grown and I've, I've gone back, it's, it's kind of worked on me. <laughs> and, and, and I have a favourite psalm now. It's Psalm 29. Um, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. That's kind of the preface. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the foreign bears. All in his temple, all cry, Glory! Prologue. The Lord sits enthroned over the storm. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Now, you can probably tell why this is my favourite poem, right? It's just so obvious. <laughs> you don't have to be a literary critic to get what's the imagery, right? It's, there's a thunderstorm, there's lightning, there's... So I get the imagery, because simple poor me, you can't understand literature very well, even gets that. So that's why, and just the repetition, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. So it's obvious what it's about. So someone as simple as me, when it comes to literature, can actually appreciate this poem. But in terms of, you know, academics reading this, they have, oh, that's just such a, that's, you know, that's pretty standard. There's not much subtlety in the imagery there. Um, so it's big, it's big. Okay. Now, the Bible is also an easy book. It's easy. And this is a paradox, isn't it? It's so big, and yet it's so easy. Because there's a central character, a consistent message, and a clear question. The central character in the Bible is God. He's the main agent. He's the central figure of all the different stories and genres. He's the major subject of the poetry in the Psalms, for example. He's the giver of the commands in the law parts. He's the chief actor in the stories of rescue from Israel, of judgment. And in fact, he's the climax of the whole story as well because he actually enters into the story that he's writing. He comes into the midst in the form of his son. So all of the universe and humanity is heading towards this place of presence, this dwelling, a united heaven and earth with God in the midst. And, and you, you see this central character just in surprising ways. For example, I said before this was a letter between, you know, Christians. And you'd expect a letter to have lots of talk about, you know, their relationship and catching up on news and... And yet here's this kind of really surprising opening. We read this, you know, there is a greeting, but then there's this extended paragraph of praise to God. Even this letter between people who know each other or, you know, want to catch up is suddenly kind of caught up into this central character, God and his human face, Jesus, and extolling him and praising him and it's, I mean, you might be familiar with the, the letter parts of the Bible, so you just go, yep, I know that that happens. Um, but don't miss the point. It's actually, it's getting the focus off the recipients and the sender, isn't it, onto this other character. 
an important, more important character. God and God are seen in the human face of Jesus. So it's easy. Whatever part, you can say, what does this show us about God? And that can sometimes be a bit blah. Because, you know, to be honest, most people are more interested in themselves. In self-help, in what I can gain, in what I can learn, in how I can be helped. But the Bible just keeps talking about God and presenting God. But, you know, this is, as well as being a bit blah, is also beautiful. Because self-preoccupation can be, can be so damaging and inhibiting. And In fact, there's nothing more liberating than to get your mind onto something even greater and more important and more glorious than yourself. And who better than God? There's also a consistent message in the Bible. It's salvation. We see that message here in 1 Peter, don't we? All of that praising of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his salvation. How God provides rescue for humans. Offering redemption from what enslaves us. Cleansing us from what defiles us. Or, or, or how he provides energy and rest for what weighs people down. Or how he provides forgiveness for what makes us guilty. Or new creation for the suffocation in ourselves of darkness and despair or perhaps even evil. And you can hear this consistent message of salvation in 1 Peter 1 through the theme of hope, isn't it? That's what, how salvation is talked about here from God. Hope chiming through these opening verses. That because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the prospect of death winning at the end of our days has been overturned. That those who are connected to Jesus, obeying him, trusting him, resting him, repenting towards him, loving him, there is this sure inheritance that talks about of eternal life awaiting, something that can never perish, spoil or fade. This type of salvation from God in Jesus that 1 Peter highlights is so needed for everyone, isn't it? So wherever you look in the Bible, you can see this consistent message coming through. That God is acting, that he's working, that he's taking the initiative, that he's working behind the scenes to save, to restore, to protect. To... And again, just to be honest, I think this is existentially blah sometimes. Isn't it? Because we like to be the people who are in control. Like, like Matt Ross, right? We might pursue knowledge. We want to we know everything. And we can do it. We like to be people who achieve or who succeed against the odds, who fix the mess in the world or the mess in our own lives. But, but this message is consistent in the Bible. It's so easy that it can be galling that you actually need God. Without him, you are lost. That without him, death is won. That without him, bad stuff in us can't be overcome. That the bad stuff thrown at us by others in the world can't endlessly handle it, calm and poised without God. And but, so that's the blah, but but once you come to the end of yourself, you know, that, that feeling of, gee, I have just stuffed up. Or gee, I just cannot get rid of this bad habit or gee I really hurt that person or gee I have actually put the finger up to God or that kind of stuff when you've come to the end of yourself once you face the reality of your limitations 
and your own contributions, then this, this consistent message is beautiful. It's so liberating and beautiful. Blah becomes re- beauty. And of course, there's a clear question. Consistently, wherever you're in the Bible, what is your response to this central character and this consistent message? How are you going to react? How are you going to respond? Are you going to trust it? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to run away from it? Are you going to turn and come back again? So, the Bible is both big and easy. It's this incredible paradox about it. It seems too easy to us. So easy that even a small child can get the chief character of the central message and the clear question. And for clever uni students, that can be galling. On the other hand, often the bigness of the Bible is what can make us misjudge it because it's bigger than, I don't know, information. And as uni students, we often just want to process information. It's bigger than entertainment. (laughs) And then oftentimes we just want comfort, not challenge. We want light and fluffy, not density. So I want to say that I think that this paradox of the Bible, bigness and easiness together, is one of the compelling things about it. Its bigness can challenge us. Its easiness can comfort us. With bigness and easiness together, it means that we can benefit from the delights of both familiarity and of variety. We love familiarity, don't we? We're creatures of habit. Same coffee, the favourite meal, the routine. And the nature of the Bible being easy gives us that familiarity. Wherever we are in the Bible, however much you read, small, big, often frequent, infrequent, you can meet and see God. You can meet and hear of his offer of salvation. And you can hear that you are meant to be challenged to trust in him. But we're also people of variety, aren't we? We're like trying out new experiences. We like to do a mix of things. And the Bible's bigness always gives us that as well. There are people who read the Bible every year of their life and they're still being intrigued. They're still being confused. They're still having their vistas open to new layers of life. So I've got a picture here of the theme of the week, <laughs> the moon. And I'll put it there because the analogy that I thought of is the smartphone. Apparently the smartphone has as much computational power or more and functionality as what enabled us to put man on the moon. The Bible's a bit like that. It's incredibly big. I mean, I use, I think maybe 5% of the functions of my iPhone. You know, I look at the storage and it's like, wow, you know, all that sort of stuff. But that's me. But at the same time, it's so easy, isn't it? I mean, my mum's 80 and she uses a smartphone. It's just... So, we love our smartphones. They're easy. I want to say the Bible is even better than our smartphones. I'll hand back to... I'm going to pray and someone's going to come and pray with it. It's Aiden, right? Aiden, what are you studying, mate? What are you studying? Civil engineering. Great. And you're in first year? Yeah. Yeah, come up, mate.
I'll pray and then you just, you just pray. Uh, Lord God, some of us are just new to the Bible. It, it feels a bit alien. We know there's all these questions swirling around in our society about it. Um, so meet us, Lord, where we, need, where we have questions. Give us answers. And uh, for those who have just forgotten about it, about it or becoming a bit dusty, helps to, again, find the comfort of its easiness and the challenge of its bigness. And to, to, to meet you, the central character, and to hear your message of salvation and to respond. Amen. Uh, dear God, uh, we were once broken and dead in our sins, but we walked through the valley of death. But you, dear Lord, uh, broken that darkness for your Saviour, Jesus. And we thank you that through Jesus dying on the cross, our relationship with you can be restored. Uh, dear God, thank you for the rest of these holidays. Uh, thank you that we're able to spend time meeting new people, traveling, and having time to put our mind at ease. But more importantly, we thank you for the time we spend at faculty getaways. Uh, thank you that we're able to learn about you in Australia without persecution. I do pray for the upcoming uh, faculty getaways for over the next uh, weekend that we'll be able to put a warning and we'll one another up. Um, as another semester begins, uh, we do pray that we We pray that you'll be our shepherd, that you'll follow us, and that we can learn from your ways. Uh, but dear God, do protect us and comfort us through the times of 